0: listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. please, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number five, 2 Corinthians chapter number five. We have been in a series over the last four weeks, that is entitled, Lies That Are Shaping Our World. Actually, this is the fourth week, so we've been in it for three weeks. Lies That Are Shaping Our World. I'll get to the text here in a moment, but we've we've talked about how life is simply random. That's a, that's a lie that's been out there, that everything's just a roll of the dice. Uh, last week, we looked at the lie, because there's so much suffering in the world, God can't be good. God can't be real. Because of all the suffering, uh, we've also talked about uh, the first one we looked at was hey, just believe whatever you want to believe. You know, as long as you're sincere, you just you just believe it. And we've taken these lies and we've tried to uh, biblically um, attack those and then uh, discuss them again at our at our home group. Well, this morning I want to deal with a fourth lie, and that is our good outweighs our bad. Our good ways are bad most unredeemed sinners have a nagging concern about the afterlife you see the evidence clearly when you ask unbelievers directly what will happen to them uh, when they when they take their last breath the most common response when you're engaging with people uh, they are they, they they tend to subject themselves to the notion of a relative goodness well, I am, I'm basically good, and I certainly try to do more good than bad. Do you think that's a noble thing? Yeah, for sure, right? You know, you and I want to try to do some more good than, than we do bad, but, 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 they, but they cling to that, that, that their, their good is going to outweigh their bad. Now, while the unbelieving world might find some, some, some comfort in that imagined sliding scale of justice... Those hopes actually are hinging on an obvious lie. It is tragic that so many unregenerate sinners have convinced themselves that the good will outweigh the bad in God's final verdict of their lives. And what is even worse than when that is kind of in the what we would call maybe the lost world would be that modern evangelicalism does little to suppress this type of thinking. It does little to press against it. In fact, in many cases, it's actually encouraged. So I want to start this morning with the gospel or the false gospel, excuse me, of goodness. And if you've if if you've studied anything in the past or you were a most likely Larry King's 2005 interview with Joel Stein, it honestly it lives in infamy. And uh, many of the many of us will remember that as Larry King would kind of just ask him very kind of softball theological questions. His response over and over again was, "I don't know." And uh, maybe you remember that interview. But there was one moment in that conversation that really reveals uh, Osteen's ha- has a problem far worse than just the ignorance of "I don't know." Here's what Larry King asked him: "I." or excuse me, he says, you don't call them sinners. And Joel's response was, I don't. Larry King then asked, is that a word you don't use? And Joel Osteen says, I don't use it. I never thought about it, but I probably don't. Most people already know what they're doing wrong. And so Osteen, like most peddlers of the cheap grace, does not see any value in talking about sin, because believers already know, hey, they already know what they're doing wrong. They already they, they already know those types of things. There's no shortage of modern pulpits that tend to that, that tend to kind of talk similar sentiments every single Sunday, and that is why they usually offer a little more than just simply a drive-by discussion that just literally talks about sin, sinners, and their ultimate um, you know the, the the ultimate destination of hell apart from Jesus Christ, and so Rick Warren. He's a uh, best-selling author of the book *The Purpose-Driven Life*. I have it; I've read it, uh, and it has a great case in point of, of what I'm trying to say. Warren discusses sin and forgiveness, but he does it in the most broadest and briefest sentence or er, uh, ways possible. Here's what he says: Believe that no matter what you've done, God wants to forgive you. Receive His forgiveness for your sins. That's it. It's just like. God, and and we, uh, we do know that God wants to forgive us of our sins. Amen? Praise God for that. I mean, but it's just like this real quick, you know, God wants to forgive you of your sins, and you just receive that, uh, receive that forgiveness. But there's no attempt to explain what sin is. There's no ex- attempt to uh, explain why you even need that forgiveness. There's no attempt to even be able to connect to the fact that that Jesus Christ died on the cross because we're sinners and so forth. And so it seemed that the status quo of modern evangelicalism is that sin is not really that big of a deal. And it's to no wonder that then many professing believers take their uh, their eternities on the hope that they can do enough good to please God. And so, in their eyes, the day of judgment involves a set of scales on which the Lord weighs all of your good deeds and all of your bad deeds, and somehow Hopefully your good deeds outweigh your bad. You'd, you'd be shocked at how many quote-unquote Christian churches and people, they, they believe in a system like that. And you might say, well, Ryan, I don't. But listen, this, is a, this series is a world or a lie that is shaping the world. And so you and I, we need to be able to combat the world in our everyday conversations. Listen, every one of your conversation isn't going to be, what must I do to be saved? Everyone in your conversations isn't someone going to be saying, uh, you know, like you know, if you were to die there and you way to heaven, it's going to be life on life in conversations around, you know, coffee and things like that, where we can combat some of the lies that no life is not just a random act. God is sovereign over uh, His creation; that we can't just actually believe whatever we want to believe. There's no, we can't just believe in relativism and all the things that we discussed over those weeks. And so, professing believers, we've. We can't buy into this false gospel, and uh, we uh, we can't do that. And so the view of God's justice is fatally flawed when we assume that it's the scales for two glaring reasons. Let me give you the first reason. First, it fails to recognize that we have no good deeds to place on the scales, okay? And that is why true salvation requires the Imputation of Christ's righteousness. I want you to look at verse number 21 of 2 Corinthians. We're actually gonna, we're gonna come here, we're gonna go away for it, and then we're gonna end back in this text. For he hath made him to be sin for us. That's God making Jesus to be sin for us, Ryan, who knew no sin, not me, but Jesus knew no sin, that he, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you and I, we need an alien righteousness. In other words, from without. We need an alien righteousness from without us. And the reason why is because Isaiah so many years earlier than the Apostle Paul said in Isaiah 64, but we are as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of our good works are as filthy rags. Okay? And so The word picture of that, um, there are a couple of them, but the one I'll choose to use this morning would be like a leper that has boils and it's filled with pus and blood and just nasty grossness. How many of you have already eaten? Okay. All right. And so uh, you take that, uh, you take a rag and they would be itchy and they would be burning, they'd be firing, and they would take that rag and they would just literally scrape those pus-filled pockets of nastiness. Aren't you glad you came to church? And when that rag could no longer hold any more blood or pus or anything, they would discard it into the fire, and they would consider that unclean. Okay, and um, and so that's just uh, one of the examples uh, that is used there. So even the efforts of unbelievers, listen to me, that may seem in conformity to God's commandments. Why would they conform to God's commandments? Because we looked at a couple weeks ago, Romans 1 says that it's literally written on their hearts, right? Romans 2 also talks about that and how even the Gentiles, they do the works of the law even though they've not been given the law. The law, the Ten Commandments and so forth, that was given to God's people, right? Use Moses and that was after the deliverance of Egypt and through the Red Sea and everything and is all during the wilderness, They had the Ten Commandments, but the Gentiles didn't, yet they would do things um, that that would pertain to the law. And so you and I, we look at people that are unregenerate, people that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they do good things. They follow God's commandments. There are um, husbands and wives that, that stay together their entire lives, yet they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so they follow God's commands. But listen to me. Ultimately, those things are even sinful because they're not done for the ultimate purpose, hear what I'm about to say, of glorifying God. And so, what did Paul say? No matter what we eat, no matter what we drink, whatsoever we do, do all to the who can finish it? Glory of God. So, you and I, as believers, we ought to do everything that we do eat, drink, whatsoever we do, interact, talk, have fun, go to work. Amount of sleep, all those things, getting enough, not getting too much, all those different types of things, all of that should be done for the glory of God. Okay? Romans 14, 23 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So that means the good works, uh, the good works of sinful men, they, they hope to stack up against their sin they're actually just more sin. They're just attempts at self-righteousness. And attempts at self-righteousness actually just leads to more sin because they're doing it not for the glory of God. Do you realize that our good works, quote-unquote, even as believers can still be not construed as good works? Because if we're not doing it for the glory of God, if I get up here and, and I'll confess to you that I have before, and I get up here all for the glory of man and all for the glory of me. You know what will happen to the study, so to speak? I'll, you know, my my my. It all get kind of be thrown into the fire, and what it'll become? Wood, hay, and stubble. It'll all just burn up. And so you and I, we ought to live for the glory of God, stemming from our faith that we have in Jesus Christ, right? And so listen, a lost person, an unregenerate person, they don't have faith in Christ. And so they're not living their lives through faith for the glory of God. And so even as harsh as I am making this sound, even, even the good works, that's all still, if it's not for the glory of God, it is sin. We okay with that? Right? And so we, we, we've got to understand that when, we, when we're starting to think of this, this cosmic scale of good deeds and bad deeds, man, apart from Apart from Christ, don't get mad at me. It's all bad deeds. Because it's not done for the glory of God. It's not actually done through faith. It's not actually done through Christ. Well, Ryan, you just alienated a bunch of people. I get that, okay? So let's get to at least some of the good news. But So it's false, number one, because there's no good deeds to even place on the scales apart from Christ. Okay, the second fatal flaw is trying to outweigh our sins with good works is that justice does not work that way. And so, what's the real gospel? Well, it's not, so the false gospel is in good works. Well, the real gospel is found in Christ. It's found in his righteousness. It's found in God, who is a perfect judge. There's no mitigating circumstances, and there's no good works that can cancel out the crime that's already been committed. Now, even a human judge, a human judge might, in the courtroom, might acknowledge some good deeds of the person that is on trial. You know, maybe there's some turning over of some new leaves and things like that, and they might acknowledge some of those good deeds, but that does not in any way negate the crimes that they committed, right? They're still going to be held accountable to, you know, the crimes that, they, uh, that they've committed. Now, listen, that's a sinful human judge, Imagine a perfect, all-knowing, non-sinful judge being God, the sovereign judge of the universe, the one who keeps a perfect record of every sin we've ever committed. Turn to Revelation 20. Revelation chapter number 20, please. We okay this morning? Doing all right? Don't worry, it gets a lot better. Revelation 20. Verse number 11, Revelation 20, verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. the lake of fire and so there's there's a record guys of everything that we're doing remember if you I don't know don't the time it's already 10:30, but if you go to Colossians chapter 2 it talks about there were the ordinances that were being written against you in Colossians chapter ah let's turn there real quick Colossians chapter 2 Colossians 2 please Colossians chapter number two. You say, well, in Revelation 20, there it's all it, it, it's talking about the lost. And you're absolutely right. But look at Colossians 2. 13. And you, he's writing to the church here at Colossae, you being dead in your sins. And in the uncircumcision of your your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now look at verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So every single person that has ever lived, his name is written in the book of life. And I mean, we're like way out there. I'm trying not to get too far into the weeds here. But every single person that was ever born was written, their name was written in the book of life. And everything that we do is just getting recorded. All of the transgressions, all of that is, is literally just the ordinances that we're against you. You go to Revelation 20, and you're talking about you know the, the works, the book being opened, and they're judged by their works. And why? Because, listen, we're talking about not a human judge. We're talking about the sovereign God of the universe. We're talking about a God that, that sees everything done in private. Luke 8, verse 17 says, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Every word that we utter is known by God. He hears it all. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. What did we just read? We read about Revelation chapter number 20. Continue to follow me here. So every person that is born has their name written in the book of life. Every single thing that we're done, all of our transgressions, everything, every word that we say, every thought that we think, God is sovereign. He sees it all. He hears it all. He um, is is observing it all. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, yeah, you might not be committing physical adultery, but if you even think it in your heart, you even lust, you've already committed sin already. You've already broken the commandments and so on and so forth. God's commitment is perfect, and it's never negotiable. There's nowhere to hide from a divine justice. It will always be meted out. Justice will. Always. You're probably getting getting nervous here. Always. And so the real dilemma facing all men is not whether they will accept Christ, but rather, how can Christ possibly accept them without violating his justice? And that's where Paul gives us the answer. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hopefully this will all come together here for us this morning. Appreciate you being here for our Bible study. Let's get it kind of in its context here. Verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be who in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Okay, this is the word, the great, the, like the theological word of impartation or imputation. It, it's He's not putting it to our 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 record. Okay, and it says, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray also that we pray you in Christ's stead, excuse me, be reconciled to God. And then it says in verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In just 16 original Greek words, the sum of the entire gospel and encapsulates God's ministry of reconciliation. So what is Paul saying when he says, to us, that Christ became sin on our behalf. Here's what it means. It does not mean that Jesus Christ ever sinned. Hebrews 4 tells us that he was tempted like we were, yet without sin. All the points that we were tempted. Everything that you and I are tempted to do, Jesus Christ was tempted. You can read that in Hebrews 4, 14, 15, 16. He was tempted everything that we were, yet he was without sin. And so, so what does it mean when Paul says, hey, hey, he, he became sin for us, or he was made sin for us? Here's what it means. It means that God treated him as if he were a sinner. More than that, God actually poured out on him the full fury of his wrath against all the sins of all the people of the world. And as a righteous judge... He had no other choice. God said, sin has a penalty. For the wages of sin is death. It's what it is. Brings death. God told Adam and Eve, hey, you can eat of every single tree in the garden, but there's one in the midst of it. I don't want you to eat of it. And, of course, they did. Satan comes along. Ooh, look how great this is. You and I probably would have eaten too. Okay? The reality is, is you and I would have eaten as well. But, and so God took... All of that wrath that was now for man because of that original disobedience, and now you and I have disobeyed every day of our lives as well since then, but all of that wrath that a God that is perfect in justice, that hears everything, that sees everything, that is aware that is his mind and his ability to pierce even your heart that no one else knows, he does. All of the wrath that a holy God could never allow upon that, Poured out full fury on Jesus Christ. The just God of the universe had to punish sin justly. He had to pour out the full penalty on His Son to give forgiveness to the world. And His justice demands that every sin had to that had ever been committed by every person who has ever lived, and that's including me, it will be punished, either in eternal torment in hell. It's not a very popular word today, or on Christ at the cross. I'll be honest with you, it's humbling and it's profound to, to think about that God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived my life, as if he lived my life, and he punished him for every sin that I committed and will commit and you committed and that you will commit and it was all to the full satisfaction of his justice God's commitment to his justice is unbreakable you and I we couldn't make sin go away you and I we can't pretend that it doesn't exist you and I cannot deceive ourselves in believing that we can hide it somehow under a pile of good stuff it's all seen Apart from Christ, even our good stuff is the bad stuff. And so they must be confessed by ourselves and they must be dealt with by God, by Jesus Christ on the cross, his substitutionary death for us. And so that's why the drastic measures of Calvary, that's why they were necessary. God was making a way. There was no humanly conceivable way to vindicate ourselves. And so God vindicates us you and me, if you know Christ as your Savior, through His Son, Jesus Christ. Yet Christ's punishment in our place, and as glorious and as unfathomable as that is, it still leaves another half of the verse, doesn't it? I want you to look back at verse 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's, that's Jesus, God making Him sin for He treated us like we were sinners. Look, That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ him. Paul saves arguably the best news for last. Not only has God imputed our sins to Christ, but he's imputed Christ's righteousness to us. It's the great theological exchange. We give our sin and he gives righteousness. Wow. How radical is that? What what do we give? Filth. And what do we get in return? Awesome righteousness of Jesus Christ placed on us. God treated Jesus as a sinner, though he was not, so that he could treat us as if we were righteous, though we are not. And a Probably a more personal way to say it is this, that God treated Christ on the cross as if he had lived my life so he could treat me as if I lived his. That's the full side, guys, of justification. Justification, we know it maybe if you've been in church for any length of time, it's got like a like a term to it, just as if I never sinned. Right? Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. You kind of hear that in there. But the other side to justification would be just as if I had always obeyed. And so when you and I understand the the the, the realm of our sin, you see the beauty glor- the beautiful glory of the gospel. Is that God sees us covered with the righteousness of his sin. Listen to me, church. I'm so so glad you're here this morning. That means you as a believer, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted him as your Savior, you never, ever need to be afraid of him. You never need to run from him. Listen to me. You will sin. I'll let you off the hook in the next seven days, okay? I could probably say the next seven hours, but I don't want to say that, you know, in Christ, and listen, we can live a holy life. And so I don't want to just throw everything under the carpet and just I'll ah, just live however you want. I, I don't want you to I don't want you to go there. But listen, you you will sin in the next mm, however you want to include in that. Hours, minutes, definitely for Sonia, it's minutes. No, I'm just teasing. But whatever the case is, you don't have to run from him. Because every single one of your sins, which, by the way, when we went to Colossians 2, were future sins, because you weren't there when Christ died on the cross. Every one of those was taken, and it was placed, Peter tells us, placed literally on his body, in his body. Hence, God the Father was looking at God the Son, bearing all of our sin, and he had to turn his back on him. And that's why Jesus said, you know, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Because God's holy. God can't even, he can't can't even see it. It's It's just, and so it. So be thankful, be thankful there will be no scales weighing out our good works versus our bad works on the day of judgment. God has mercifully spared us from the humiliation of what that would actually reveal. So this morning, please don't in any way come in here with an arrogant type of heart, Ryan, myself, and you, and somehow we are good. Somehow we are better than somebody else. Somehow, you know, we've, we've walked in here and, you know, we're not in the, you know, we're not in the parlor just drunk off our mind and we're not on the, you know, streets selling ourselves, whatever, whatever the drug out, whatever you want to define as maybe wicked. Before we ever were like, I'm glad I can stand far away from that. Let's remember that that little white lie sent Christ to the cross. Okay, that little Just bending of the truth, that little exaggeration of a story. You know, that fish keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? All of that. Send Christ to the cross. So let's be thankful that it's not this cosmic scale of good versus evil like that. Now let me ask you, should we try to do good, yes or no? Absolutely. But now you actually have the fuel to do it. Now you can actually love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is living in and through you. That's the gospel. The gospel lives out of you. You don't try to attain something for God. No, instead it's living through you and for you. And so let's be thankful that there aren't these cosmic scales. But even more, I want us to go away this morning being thankful for for the alien righteousness or the righteousness from without that God has provided through his Son. For all those that place their trust in Him. So every name was written. Everyone. Born. Just everything you've ever done. And either we are going to give an account for that. If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, you will give an account for that. The Bible tells us we will. Either we will give an account for it. And by the way, it doesn't matter how many good we've got, we've got it all listed there. We will give an account, or we can humbly come to Christ for salvation, and we can realize that he took all of that for us. So last week we kind of, we talked about the unpardonable sin at 11 o'clock a little bit. You wonder what I believe the unpardonable sin is? I said this last week, and I I believe within context that gets ripped out brutally and scares every Christian out there. You know what what do I believe the unpardonable sin is? The sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief realizing, or, or, or coming, remember, creation declares the Godhead, which is amazing. Our conscience tell us there is a God. And then, of course, we have special revelation in, in Jesus Christ. And so when we know that and we reject that, then guess what? We're going to have to give an account. Revelation chapter 20, those books are going to be opened, and we're going to be, ju- we, we, they are going to be judged by their works. So whether we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior or we realize that the scale is not going to do one of these. Because apart from Christ, don't get mad at me. It's all bad. Because it's not done for the glory of God, and it's not done in faith or faith in Christ. So 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, thanks be unto God for the unspeakable gift. I've tried to spend the last 25 minutes unpacking the, just the, the realities and the beauty of the gospel. But even then, I feel like I fall short. Because it's really, it's unspeakable that God would look at me, that God would look at the world and would say, I love you so much, Ryan. I love the world so much that I'm not going to even make it dependent upon you because you can't. But instead, I'm going to send the real hero. My son, Jesus, is going to come in, enter into life. Everywhere where we lost, he's going to win He goes through those forty days of temptation. We read about it in Mark, and he's winning every day for you. Every moment, every temptation, he is good, 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 good. Why? So you can just literally cling to that. It's either him, or you'll give an account to yourself. And it's a lie that's shaping our world. Hey, hey, your good outweighs your bad. No, it doesn't. And I try to be nice about it, uh, but it just it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It is a lie. It's shaping our world, and I think you and I, we need to have a biblical answer. And honestly, you literally could use uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 as your one answer, but hopefully um, you uh, can use some more than just that. And so next week, of course, we have uh, Brother Tomlinson uh, that will be here. So uh, in the weeks to come, we'll get on to uh, learning about some additional lies. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll prepare for our 11 o'clock service. Lord, we thank you.